to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 this morning. An old cowboy was riding along and came across the town as he was riding. You know, after the flop, I had to give one more shot here. He's riding along and he uh, came to a town that had a general store and so he stopped in at the general store and got off of his horse, tied it off to the post and went in to get some supplies. Unfortunately, it was a town where the town folk had a tendency to uh, mess with people that were new and sure enough, he was a stranger in town and so when he came back out with all of his supplies, his horse was gone. The man walked back into the general store, he flipped his gun up in the air, spun it around three times, shot a uh, bullet right up through the roof, and uh, with a great tenacity, he said, who in here took my horse? He looked around, nobody answered him. He said, all right, folks, I'm going to walk across that street over there, and I'm going to go into the restaurant. I'm going to sit down and eat my lunch. If my horse isn't back at the tie-in post, by the time I get back across the street, I'm going to have to do what I've done in Texas. And I don't like to do what I've done in Texas. Now people started getting a little bit fidgety, and sure enough, true to his word, he walked across the street, sat down at the table, back to the street, ate his lunch, stood up, and when he turned around and came back through the door, he saw on the other side of the street there was his horse. He went over, loaded up all of his supplies, and started riding out of town. And about that time, the storekeeper, the store clerk, came and wandered out of the store, and he said, Hey, stranger. Before you leave town, we just want to know, what did happen in Texas? He said, in Texas, I had to walk home. (laughs) Nobody likes to do that, amen? All right, Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14. I think that's all the dumb jokes I know for today, so uh, we should be safe from here on out. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse number 4. It says, and they held their peace. And he took them and healed him. Am I in Luke 14? Okay, that's not the one I want. Okay, Luke 15. I got the wrong one. Luke 15. Let's go over a chapter. Luke 15, verse number 4. At least I recognize it was the wrong spot. And he spake this parable unto them, saying... What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons, which need no repentance. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would take this passage and uh, really help us to be able to glean that which we need this morning from it. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The shepherd in this story is really a picture of Jesus. And the sheep in this story are really a picture of people. And Jesus is taking a story which would have resonated with the people to whom he is speaking. 
He's speaking to people who certainly would have recognized a shepherd. They knew what uh, shepherds were. They had seen them on the hills. Perhaps some who would have been listening to Jesus on this day had relatives who were shepherds. And some perhaps in the crowd, and especially the size of crowds that he often would speak to, uh, perhaps were themselves shepherds. And so they understood the shepherd. They understood the sacrifices that a shepherd would make for the sheep. They understood the great dangers of the wilderness in this day. They understood that for a shepherd to leave the sheepfold and uh, to leave the ninety and nine and to go out and search for that one, that certainly it was something he would do. But they also understood that that shepherd in doing so was doing so at great risk of his own life. That he was going with a very uh, sacrificial willingness to, to go and make a difference in the life of just that one sheep that he might be able to, uh, to find them and rescue them. These people understood that there was a bond between a shepherd and his sheep. One of the books in my library that I try to read uh, every year or so uh, deals with some leadership principles tying back to a shepherd and a man who was taught by a shepherd what it is to be a shepherd and then, of course, to lead. And it's really more in a business type of a sense in an area. And one of the things that I've learned, though, from that book is the great bond between a shepherd and his sheep. And you know that book is not written from a Christian perspective in any way. Uh, it's just a secular book. And yet, even in the secular world, those who understand sheep herding understand that a shepherd really bonds to his sheep. They become almost like a family, and those sheep will follow the voice of that shepherd anywhere that he leads them. And, and they begin to trust that shepherd, and they love that shepherd, and, and that bond forms between the shepherd and the sheep. These people would have understood that. They would have understood the great danger also to the sheep who was lost in the wilderness. We might be able ourselves this morning, even if you've never had really anything to do with sheep, to recognize that a sheep who's lost in the wilderness would be in grave danger. A sheep is not exactly an intimidating animal. A sheep is not an animal that goes and has great claws and fangs. A sheep is a fairly docile animal, fairly easily hunted. And certainly if there's a wolf, a lion, a bear, uh, anything of that nature there in the wilderness, the sheep is easy prey. The sheep is that which makes for a delicious but fairly simple meal. And so every prey animal that would be out would be excited to see a lost sheep coming along. The shepherd recognizes that that sheep cannot save itself. Sheep, they tell me, can see for about six feet in front of them. And so once they are lost, they can be lost if they're 12 feet from you. But once they are lost, and certainly once they're outside the sound of the shepherd's voice, they really have no way of regaining their bearing. They have no way of re-figuring out where they are in relation to where the shepherd would be. And, and they uh, say, and from some of the things that I've read, that a sheep will sometimes just walk right off the edge of a cliff because they just don't see well. They're not paying that good of attention. They're trying to figure out where they are. And, and sure enough, they'll just walk right over. And so sheep are animals that need care. And sheep are in grave danger when they're lost in the wilderness. And here God gives us a picture, and Jesus tells this story to these people who are gathered around him. And he's using it as a picture of uh, ultimately himself and of God the Father. He's using it as a picture of us as human beings, as people who are like that sheep. We cannot save ourselves, but someone else, the great shepherd of the sheep, the Bible calls Jesus in Hebrews, that he must be the one to come and to save those who are lost. I wonder this morning, have you ever seen yourself as someone who is spiritually lost? 
Have you ever seen yourself as someone who is in need of a spiritual savior, somebody to come and save you from your own sin? There were, there were four men that uh, became known as the four chaplains in World War II. George Fox, Alexander Good, Clark Poling, and John Washington. Throughout the Second World War, of course, there are many stories that we could go to that are stories of heroism and uh, things that happened, situations that took place. And, and these four men found themselves in just such a situation in February of 1943. All uh, four of these men were aboard the Dorchester. It was a renovated luxury liner that was being used to transport troops now. And uh, they were transporting on that day 902 people that were on the ship. They were in the treacherous Atlantic waters. They were traveling from Newfoundland to Greenland. On the evening of February 2nd, the enemy attacked. A German U-boat came, and of course they had no idea that it was there, and launched a torpedo, and that torpedo made a direct hit on the Dorchester. Immediately everyone knew that the ship was doomed. These four men, knowing that they knew Jesus as their Savior and that their eternity was secure, they took off their life vests and found others who needed them and who were not sure of their eternal salvation. They put their life vests on them, recognizing that they needed longer to live. And then they began to tend to the needs of others. Not everyone would get off. They refused to be those who would leave in the lifeboats. And so as the lifeboats were filling and boats of other men were leaving, these four men stayed on the Dorchester. These four men did all that they could to minister to some of the physical needs, trying to help others to perhaps have the strength to swim in the icy waters long enough that uh, perhaps if another vessel were to come by, they might be able to be spared. They began to work not only on physical needs, but to try to give the gospel and tell others how they could know Jesus as their Savior. These men during this time began to search for those who might be ready to hear and ready to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say that as that Dorchester began uh, to go under the waves and to sink down for the last time, these four men stood and they linked arms and they stood arm in arm as they sank below the ocean and unable to get off of that ship and the waves began to roll over it. And they stood arm in arm in prayer, praying for the souls of these men who would escape in the boats and those who were about to drown. And then they vanished from sight for the last time. It really is an amazing story. Men who are willing to give of themselves. Men as chaplains who would have been some of the first to leave the boat had they so chosen. Men who were willing to uh, make the difference in the lives of others. In 1961, the U.S. Congress approved a new and unique award. The posthumous special medal for heroism was conferred on all four of these chaplains. In order to receive the Medal of Honor, it has to be under uh, valor, under enemy fire. And so they were not uh, able to receive the Medal of Honor. But they made this new award in large part to be able to give to these four men posthumously so that they might be able to be recognized for their great heroism, their sacrifice on the Dorchester. You know, it's an amazing thing when someone's willing to lay down their life for another. It's an amazing thing when someone uh, who does not have to suffer or go through a difficult situation or certainly die says, I willingly will lay down my life that another might be able to live. Here were men who were seeking for those who they could spare, who they could save. I want you to examine with me three incredible components of our compassionate shepherd this morning. And we're going to see some of these very elements in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For the fact is that he loves every person enough to seek and to save those who are lost. I see, first of all, in this story, the concern of the shepherd. If you look in verse number four, he says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost, until he find it. I see a few things in this verse about the concern of the shepherd. First of all, I see that his concern caused him to depart. You know, the shepherd, he could look. And the shepherd could look in the sheepfold and say, you know, we've got 99. I mean, 99 out of 100, that's a pretty good day. And 99 out of 100, it's the first time this year we've come up short. And you know, every once in a while, you're going to lose a sheep. So, I mean, if we're 99%, uh, I mean, you know, in baseball, you can make millions of dollars if you can be, uh, you know, 30% of hitting a ball. And so, I mean, hey, we're way better than a lot of those types of things. If we can be 99% good, then let's just stay home. Let's stay in the sheepfold. Let's relax. There's no wolves in here. There's wolves in here. We're good to go. The shepherd could say that. But Jesus is saying here, no shepherd who's worth his salt would say that. For the shepherd, when he counts the sheep and he recognizes we have 99 and and they're here in the wilderness and they're gathered and he's gathered them in for the night, that shepherd's going to look and he's going to say, you know, there might be safety here and there might be comfort here, but there's a sheep that's missing here. And I'm so glad that the God of heaven, one day while he was sitting upon the throne of heaven and decided to create this world. And the Bible says that before he ever even created the world, before there was a such thing as time, that the God of heaven made a plan and he determined and he decided that he would lay down his own life that we might be saved. That God, before the very foundations of the world, had already determined and chosen that he would love you and that he would love me. What an incredible God. And then the day came in the scope of time when Jesus was born of a virgin, born into this world in a miraculous manner. And he came and he took on flesh and became man, absolutely 100% God, yet at the same time, absolutely 100% man, absolutely impossible to explain. And yet that's the reality. And he entered into this world as the representative of the whole human race. What an incredible story. What an incredible God. And you know, he could have said, if I go down to that place, that earth, those people aren't really worth it. And he'd have been right. He could have said, you know, I could just recreate and create something better. And he would have been right. He could have said, instead of me going and going through all the pain and all the torment and all the torture that will come, and and more than anything else, as Jesus was in that garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. I believe he was speaking of that moment when God the Father, for the only time of eternity past or future, would turn his back on God the Son and the Godhead would be split. I believe that as he looked at that, that was the time that he uh, the most despised. That was the time that was the most horrific as he looked forward on those moments on the cross. And he already knew before he left the throne of heaven that that moment was coming. I'm glad that God looked and he said, you know, there are people who need to be saved. I'm glad that Jesus as God was willing to depart. That his care, that his compassion, that his love for people said, I'm not just going to stay here, but I'm willing to leave even the throne of heaven as the God of the universe to depart this place that I might go to earth 
and die for men. I see the concern of the, the shepherd caused him to depart, but not only that, the concern of the shepherd caused him to be determined. Have you ever searched for something? The Bible tells us here he uh, is going to leave. He left the 99 in the wilderness, and then he's going to go, and notice what it says, the end of verse number four, until he find it. So here's a man. He's not just glancing around. He's not just looking casually. Uh, Maybe you've looked casually. Probably all of us, I'm sure, have done that. Maybe you've even looked intently for something. My wife, every now and then, will say something like, the ketchup is in the fridge. Now, I don't know how ketchup hides in the fridge the way that it does. And I will go over to the fridge, and I will open the fridge, and I'll say, it's not here. And she'll say, yeah, it is. It's in the door. And I'll look in the door, and I'll say, it's not there. I'm looking for it. You know, sometimes I even look hard. Every once in a while, I reach in the fridge, and I move something. Isn't that amazing? All the wives should be saying, wow, that is incredible. Uh, I'll, I'll actually look behind an area. And my wife will walk over, and she knows how to go beyond looking, or even looking intently, she knows how to search the fridge, and she'll find it. Usually right in front of everything else, it moves, right as she's walking across the living room floor. I don't know how it happens, uh, but probably some of you, I'm guessing from your reaction, have had the same experience. We'll be driving down the road every now and then, on the other hand, and uh, as we're driving down the road, we'll be passing maybe a semi-truck. My kids will be asking a question that I'm trying to figure out how to answer. The phone will be ringing. I I mean, a million things seem to be happening all at the same time, and I'll go, you see that deer over there in the field? Doesn't that, that deer have a big old rack of antlers? Look at that deer and my wife will say how is it that you can see that deer over there with all these distractions going on and things you should be paying attention to but you can't find ketchup in the fridge it's because I know how to search for deer my eyes I don't know why they just pick it out any of you other men that way All right, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, We can find a deer way on the other side of the interstate, down a hill, across the valley. Uh, We can see that little speck of brown, but somehow that thing in the fridge hides. My wife knows how to search things in our house that I only look for. And here's what the Bible's telling us about this shepherd. He's not just looking for. He's not just saying I'm willing to find. He's not just saying I'd like to find. But he's going to search until he finds. He's going to put labor into this. The the shepherd who would be searching for a sheep, and again, these people would understand the picture of this, and maybe you do this morning if you have searched for something out in the wilderness, but but the shepherd's going to search, he's going to seek, he's going to do all that he can to find, he's going to try to find uh, perhaps a trail, he's going to go to the last place he knows that sheep was there, and, and see if a trail leading off and see if maybe he can follow that uh, trail, maybe a game trail or whatever it might be, and he's going to search and he's going to seek and and he's going to listen and he's going to use every sense that he can use to try to figure out where might this sheep be. I mean, it could be anywhere in the wilderness, but I'm going to search until I find. It's an amazing thing. The God of heaven said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You realize this morning, if you're here and you've never understood that uh, you are somebody, you've never seen yourself as somebody who's lost spiritually and in need of somebody to save you from your sin and the price of your sin, 
Do you realize there's a God in heaven who said 2,000 years ago that he is seeking for your soul? And he said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reality is this morning, if you're here and you do not know that Jesus has saved you, that your sins have been washed away, we sang a few minutes ago, what sins are you talking about? Maybe you'd say, you know, I don't know my sins have ever been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and in the eyes of God. Maybe this morning you're here and it doesn't matter if you've been in this church for 40 years going to church or if this is the first time you've ever walked into any church. The reality is this, it's not about going to church, it's not about being a Baptist. Our goal in inviting you today is not to try to get you to be a member of Eagle Heights Baptist Church. It's that you might know beyond the shadow of any doubt there's a God in heaven who's seeking a relationship, personal relationship with you. Do you know that you have that? Do you know that you've received him as your savior and your sin has been washed away? Do you know that you have a personal relationship with God? It it may be that he brought you here this morning so you could hear this message because right now he is seeking after your soul in a relationship with you. I see here that this man, this shepherd that is pictured in the story, his concern caused him to depart. His concern caused him to be determined. And then I see that his concern caused him to deliver. He seeks until he finds. Now when he finds the sheep, the shepherd doesn't come along and go, Oh, look at that sheep. He's in the middle of a briar patch. I mean, those thorns look like they probably hurt. Well, good thing I found him. I guess I'll go home. I don't want to get stuck by those thorns. You know, a good shepherd comes along and he sees the sheep is stuck in a bad situation. He sees that the sheep is in a place that it's going to cause him great physical harm in order to get the sheep out, to deliver the sheep. And he still says, I'm going to do all I can. I'm going to get in there with the sheep and I'm going to deliver him out. What an incredible thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in all points tempted like as we are. You know what he did? He stepped right down into this earth, into our humanity. Oh, he never sinned, but he knows every temptation to sin. He never sinned, but he knows every heartbreak that you've experienced. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to go through the physical ailments and the physical pains. He has been tempted in all points like as we are. But the Bible says, yet without sin. The God of heaven is willing to say, I've come that you might be delivered. Have you been delivered from your sin? I see this man, this shepherd that is pictured here. uh, He had a, a great concern. His concern caused him to depart a place of safety. It caused him to be determined to deliver the sheep. And here's a man with a, a great concern. But not only does he have a great concern, but he also has a great care. Notice the care of the shepherd. It's in the next verse, verse number five. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. I see here an act of sacrifice. You see, the shepherd's going to come and he's going to find that sheep in a bad situation, most likely someplace. And and when he finds that sheep, he's going to get him freed up from that which has him bound. But then he takes that sheep and he picks him up and places him on his shoulders. Now, I don't know how far this shepherd may have walked, but the idea that he's in the wilderness means he probably walked a little ways and it probably wasn't all flat ground with a sidewalk and light poles. So here it is, he's got a trek to get back. 
He's got a little ways to go. But he's willing to say, you know what, it's not about my comfort. I'm willing to sacrifice for the sheep. The sheep's already had a long day. So is the shepherd. But he says the sheep's already had a long day. The sheep has been lost and the sheep is frightened. And, and if you know about sheep, you know that when they get frightened, they, they really just kind of lock up. And uh, in fact, they do a lot of really dumb things. Uh, sometimes they'll just fall over and put their legs out straight. They can't get back up. They just fall over. And uh, they don't know how to defend themselves. They don't know how to do much of anything. So when they get scared, they just kind of lock up a lot of the time. So the shepherd, he doesn't put a leash around the thing and try to get it going. We've been trying to, uh, we've got some groundhog problems over at the parsonage. And so we put a trap out the other day to try to catch a groundhog. And we caught the one thing I didn't want to catch, a skunk. So I went outside and I said, great, now I've got to get a skunk to leave without spraying. And uh, I looked in there the first time, I moved the thing that was alongside the trap, and I looked in there and he went, and I said, whoa, whoa, don't spray, don't spray, we're good, we're friends, we really are. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out what to do. I opened the door and left it open, he wouldn't leave, he was too scared, and I couldn't figure out how to get the thing to leave without making him mad. And, and Liam came and he said, Dad, I know what we need to do. Let's just put a leash around his neck and we'll just walk him around wherever we want him to go. It was tempting to let him try. <clears throat> I said, no, no, let's not do that, son. Uh, you know, the shepherd, he doesn't come out to the sheep in the wilderness and try to put a leash or a rope or a lariat around his neck and force him to go. Do you know what the shepherd does do? In the time when the sheep is too weak to walk, too weak to move on, the shepherd lovingly gathers him and he places him on his shoulder so he can hold those legs and he just begins to carry him. And he walks him back home. You know what God does for his, his people, his sheep? Sometimes we get too weak. We're not going where we need to go. We get bound up in the things of this world. And he comes and scoops us up. And he begins to carry us back to the right place with him. What a blessing. What a picture that is there. But maybe this morning you'd say, you know, Pastor, I mean, I'd like to, to take care of some things. You're talking about sins, being able to be washed away and all those things, but you don't know where I've been. And you don't know what I've done, and you don't know how far away I am really from a relationship with God. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said things like that, and, and they've said, if you really knew my life, then you would understand why I can't just have my, my sins just washed away and all the stuff of the past be taken care of. And you'd understand why I can't just have what you're talking about, because if you really understood me, you'd understand I've done some bad things. You know what God says? When we receive him as our Savior, when we allow him to step in with the power of the very blood that was shed on the cross uh, of Calvary and Jesus can wash us as white as snow, here's what he says, he's the one who comes to us. And it doesn't matter where you are this morning. It doesn't matter how far from God you might be or how low you are or how much you've sinned. The God of heaven says, I love you enough, I'm seeking, and I'm willing to save your soul, I'm willing to save you from the penalty of your sin, all you have to do is understand what the Bible says of how to ask, and you can be forgiven of all of your sins. It's an amazing thing. It's the greatest offer that has ever been made. In just a little while, if you're a guest with us, we're going to let you know we, again on the way out that we have a voucher for $10 at the food truck today. Hopefully that'll be a great blessing, but can I say that's probably not the greatest offer that's ever been made. No, the greatest offer that's ever been made 
is the offer to be able to come as a sinner who has nothing to offer to the God of heaven and to confess our sin and receive the free gift of eternal life, not on our merit, but simply based on the promise of the Almighty God of heaven. And we can come and he promises to wash us as white as snow. I see here the care of the shepherd. I see an act of sacrifice. He's willing to place us on his shoulders. He's willing to come and to deliver from all that that binds and holds us back. I see the care of the shepherd has not only though an act of sacrifice, but an attitude of joy. Look at the rest of the verse. It's one, one word. It says he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He doesn't lay it on his shoulders and go, oh, this is going to be a long trek home. He lays that sheep on his shoulders rejoicing because he's found it. There is an attitude of joy. There is an excitement in this shepherd. And so it's an act of sacrifice, but it's done with an attitude of joy the very way that Jesus went to the cross. As Jesus is telling this story, he is uh, uh, heading towards the cross now and, and will be there uh, in just a short amount of time. And this attitude of joy, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to the cross, that he endured that shame for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? What gave him that attitude of joy? Even as he would go through the horrors of the cross of Calvary. And I say to you, the attitude of joy came from the fact that he knew that he would be able to have a relationship with you. That he would be able to offer to you eternal life. He said, why would the God of heaven have that kind of a joy about having a relationship with me? The President of the United States isn't even excited about having a relationship with me. Why would the God of heaven be excited about that? And the only thing that we can say is because he is the great shepherd of the sheep. Because he chose to love you. It's not based on our merit. Oh, if it was based on merit, I wouldn't be the one that he would choose. And yet the God of heaven said, I've chosen to love you, to seek a relationship with you, just simply because I've chosen to love you. What an attitude of joy. What an act of sacrifice that he is willing to give for us. And then I see finally this shepherd, the, the third thing about him. We see that, he has a great concern. We see that he has a great care for the sheep. But then I see not only his concern and his care, I see the coming of the shepherd in verse number six. It says, and when he cometh home. Now notice what happens when he got back home. He calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. First of all, I see his return. He's going to return back home. And, uh, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And one day he's coming back to this earth. But that's really not what we're focusing on here. Usually when we talk about his return, that's what we're talking about or his coming. Uh, but the fact is that the God of heaven, in the person of Jesus Christ, left heaven and came to this earth. He was here for about 33 and a half years. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead by his own power because he's God. And then a few days later, he went back to heaven. He ascended once again. And you know what's happening in heaven? The Bible's going to tell us about it in the next verse. But the reality is there's a great celebration which takes place in heaven every single time somebody's sins are washed away and they come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. There's a rejoicing, there's a celebration that is taking place. He returned home. Then we see his rejoicing. He threw a party. He invited a crowd. I mean, he said to all of his neighbors and all of his friends and anyone who would come, hey, come rejoice with me. You know, church ought to be just a little piece of heaven on earth. 
You know what ought to happen when somebody comes to know Christ as their Savior? We ought to just have a, a time, amen? That's a good old-fashioned word for a day like today. Uh, we ought to have a time. We ought to have a party with it. We ought to say, hey, this is a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing. This is a time that we're gathering and we're thrilled and we're excited. Why? Because one sinner has come home. They've come to know Jesus as their Savior. What an exciting time. We see his return. He went back home. We see his rejoicing. He threw a party, invited a crowd. And we see the reasoning for that was the rescue of the sheep. I wonder, how excited are you about your salvation? You know, if we're not careful, we can lose even the excitement and the joy of our own salvation. You may not be as excited about it as I am, but I'm pretty excited about it that I got saved. And you ought to be excited about it that you got saved, if you're saved this morning. But you know what? Then every person that comes along, and they make the decision to trust Christ as their Savior, it ought to just be an explosion of excitement as a church because that person came to know Jesus as their Savior. I see the reason for the excitement, the great thing that brings excitement in a church, the great thing that brings excitement in heaven, it's not really a special day, it's really not even not having to wear a tie. Amen. The great thing that brings excitement is when a person comes to know Jesus as their Savior. We ought to be thrilled about that. We ought to be seeking all the time to help people know Jesus. This is the whole reason that Jesus told the story in verse number 7. So he tells this whole story. He gives this picture of this shepherd and these sheep. And then in verse number 7, he brings it to the conclusion, the reason for the story. And he says this, I say unto you that likewise, so just like this shepherd rejoiced, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And then he says, more than over 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. What does he mean? Well, he's saying this. Some people will come and say, you know, really, I'm a good person. And I think because I'm a good person, I'm probably going to be okay. And someday when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him the good things that I've done. And I'm going to tell him the reasons that I should probably be allowed into heaven. And, and, and I'm going to do all that. And I think I'm probably fine. I'll be okay. Now, there's a problem. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. So it's not about our good works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Because it's a gift of God, it's not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. So in other words, if I could come to God and say, You know, Lord, I helped 90 old ladies across the street with their groceries this week. I'm really a good person. I should be able to go to heaven. If that would get me in, you know what I would talk about for the rest of eternity? Those 90 old ladies that I helped across the... Now, I'm talking like 112. Amen, is that safe? And, uh, but those 90 old ladies that I helped across the road with their groceries, I would go around heaven for all the rest of eternity boasting and saying, I did all this good stuff. Look how good of a person I am. I helped with those groceries. I deserve to be here. The Bible says you can't get into heaven based on how good you are. And that way, there's nothing you can boast about yourself. You know what we're going to talk about in heaven? We're going to talk about, I don't deserve to be here. There's nothing about me that earned this place. But look at Jesus. Those holes in his hands and his feet and his side where he died on the cross of Calvary. And because of him, he gave me the free gift of eternal life. He paid my price and he dealt with my sin so that he could give me his righteousness. 
so that I could enter not by my goodness, but by his goodness. And we will not brag of ourselves in heaven. Rather, we'll spend all of eternity talking about how good Jesus is and how wonderful it is to have a shepherd, a savior like him. I wonder this morning, if someone were to ask you, if you were to die and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Do you have an answer for that? Do you know the reason that you would be allowed into heaven this morning, not based on your own merit or goodness, but based on what the Bible says? I just want to take three or four minutes before we close the the message part of the service today, and I just want to give you the information that you need to make an informed decision on that. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I'd like to make a decision. I would like to have my sins forgiven. I would like to have the kind of a relationship that you're talking about with God. I'd like to know that. So what exactly do I need to do about it? And I want to just give you four things this morning that we need to understand. Number one, you must understand that you're a sinner. You say, uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know about that. There's a lot of churches in America today that you can go to and, and they won't tell you that you're a sinner because that hurts a lot of feelings. But let me just say to you this morning, that shouldn't hurt your feelings. It's just a fact. I, I mean, the reality is this. I'm a sinner too. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that every single person who's ever lived and breathed outside of Jesus himself is a sinner. And so it's not something to be, uh, we should be ashamed in one sense that we have sinned before God, but it's not something to say, oh, I can't believe someone would call me a sinner. No, it's just fact, uh, stating a fact. It's just like saying you are a human being. Amen? And so you're a sinner. That's the first thing we have to understand. And most of us understand this morning we've done something we ought not do, or we haven't done something we should do. And that would be sin. And so uh, the first thing we have to understand is that we're a sinner, and we have to be willing to admit it. And then number two is that there's a penalty for your sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 uh, that all have sinned, but then, excuse me, 323, in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, It says, for the wages of sin, what you've rightfully earned because of your sin, is death. The word death in the Bible always means separation. So, just like at the end of your life when you die physically, your spirit is separated from your body, therefore your body is called dead. But that spirit has to go somewhere, and the Bible says there are only two options. That spirit either goes to heaven, or it goes to hell. And whichever one it goes to, it's there for all the rest of eternity. And heaven is called eternal life because you are, your spirit, the person, spirit is what gives you life and vitality and all that. Uh, And so that spirit, that person that you are is with God in heaven, so it's called eternal life. Remember, it means separated, death does, and you are in hell, eternally separated from God. So it's a place that is called eternal death. The reality is only one of those two can you go to and you get to make the decision and so the bible tells us you're a sinner the bible tells us that not only have all sinned but there's a price for our sin and the price for our sin is death it's eternal separation from god in that lake of fire that is called hell then we see that not only have all sinned and not only is there a penalty for sin but we see that the bible tells us number three that god is offering you eternal life today he's offering you to be able to say instead of choosing eternal death i'm going to instead choose eternal life that's been promised by god 
How does that happen? The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, we just started it a minute ago, that the wages of sin is death. And then it says, one of the greatest words in the Bible, but. That means there's another side to the coin. Amen? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the Bible tells us it's a gift. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. It is merely a free gift that God is offering to you today. The way you receive it, number one, you have to understand that you're a sinner. Number two, you have to be willing not only to admit you're a sinner, but there's a price for your sin. And the fact is that's why we need a Savior, someone to save us from hell for all of eternity. And then we realize God is offering the free gift of eternal life. So how do we actually receive it? You must receive the gift, and that is you admit you're a sinner, you ask God to forgive your sins, The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that means if we agree with God about Jesus, you have to agree that Jesus is God, that Jesus died, and that he rose again from the dead on the third day. You might say this morning, Pastor, I believe that. I don't have any doubt about it. Or you might say this morning, you know, Pastor, I don't know uh, uh, for sure about that. If you say, I don't know for sure about that, I don't know if I really believe Jesus is God and that he rose again, we would love to have somebody in just a few minutes, we'll have what's called an invitation. We'd love to have somebody, if you're a man, take you, another man, if you're a lady, another lady, and not give you what we think or our opinion is, but what the Bible says about how to know who Jesus is and know the facts of what happened in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we'd love to take the Bible and show that to you. We also, on your way out today, have a gift for you. It's this little book just called Done. And the ushers will have them at the doors here in a few minutes. If you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven, we'd love to give that to you. Maybe you say, I don't really want to come forward, but I'd be willing to read a book and and just learn about it. Because here's the reality. You have to know who Jesus is, that he is God, that he died, that he was buried, but that he rose again the third day by his own power. And that because of who he is, and his offer of everlasting life, because you're a sinner who will be separated from the Savior by that sin, then you must come to him and say, right now, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to be my Savior. There's no special words. There's no magic prayer. It's a decision that you must make. You see, eternal life, receiving that gift, it's really as simple as making a decision to choose Jesus instead of anything or everything else that you might have ever held to. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'd like to make that decision. I would like to know that Jesus is my Savior. I'd like to know I have that kind of a relationship with the God of heaven. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask if we can to have every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around, nobody's talking. It's an opportunity for you to make that decision today. Maybe today you'd say, Pastor, I know of a time, the very decision you're talking about to choose Jesus as my Savior, to have a personal relationship with God, I do know of a time when I've made that decision already in the past. I know as a fact, based on the Word of God, if I died right now, that I'd wake up in heaven. I have settled that. I know that for an absolute fact. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? You say, I know that for sure. No doubt about it. Amen. Good. Amen. Thank you. You can put those down. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that 100% sure. I'm not absolutely positive about it. But you'd say this morning, I do believe who Jesus is, that he's God. 
that he died and that he rose. This morning, I want to make that decision. And I just want to encourage you and give you that opportunity. And maybe from your heart, there's no magic prayer. There's nothing you can say that those words will save you. But maybe from your heart to God, you would say something like this. Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. And that my sin causes me to be separated from you. I realize I can't save myself. And there's nothing and there's no one else that can save me from hell. I believe that you died on the cross. That you rose again on the third day. Right now I'm turning from everything else I've trusted. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. And be my savior. This morning, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever made that decision before, but the best I know how, I'm making that decision this morning. I prayed that, not as something I do on a regular basis, but I prayed that or something like that this morning to try to make, to, to, um, to make the decision to trust Jesus as my Savior. And I'd just be willing to let you know I won't embarrass you, I won't call your name out. But maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you. The best I know, I just received Jesus as my Savior. Would you just keep me in your prayer? Anybody like that this morning? You slip your hand up where I can see it. But when I see it, you can put it right back down. But you'd say, I prayed that this morning. The best I know, I just made the decision to receive Jesus as my Savior. Please pray for me. Anybody like that this morning? Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. I could raise my hand that first time. But maybe this morning you'd say, you know, I realize that there is a world around us who needs somebody to come tell them the message that there is a great shepherd of the sheep in heaven who loves them in such an incredible manner. And this morning, as I think back on my own salvation and I think back on the great concern and care of the shepherd and the rejoicing of heaven when I trusted Christ as Savior, I realized this morning I need to be diligent in telling others about him and God's spoken to my heart about that this morning. Anybody like that this morning? You'd slip your hand up and you'd say, God's spoken to my heart. Please pray for me. Amen. Amen. All around. Good. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you'll help. If there's any person here who does not know you as Savior, that you would help today to be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that those who do know you as Savior, that you'd help us to tell others about Jesus and that we would be consistent and faithful in Uh, telling others about the great shepherd, the one who loves us so much that before eternity, in eternity past, you already chose to love us before we ever existed. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.